Today's reading will be taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 1 to 6. If you are using the Black Pew Bible, it can be found on page 828. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. May the Lord bless the reading of his words in our hearts, in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, and the message, the central message of Ephesians is proclaiming our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, that we're free to live. The bonds of sin have been broken. We've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. We've also been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee within us, and we're urged to be filled with his presence on a continual basis so that we can live free and experience God's presence and God's joy, but not just experience for ourselves, but to experience it together and to share it with others. As Eunice was reading afresh our passage there, the, the, the word that should have jumped out at you as you're listening is the word one. We're told over and over again in those verses that we'll explore here in just a few moments that we are to be one because we have one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism, and we're one body. Last week, we, we explored what the church was out of the message of Ephesians, and, and hopefully it was, it was eye-opening to see what God has called us to be together. Those of us gathered in this room, others who are part of the International Church of Prague, the other sister churches that we have here in this city, and brothers and sisters from every tribe, tongue, and nation, we are the church, and we are to be one and to live out what God has given us. Well, this message in the book of Ephesians is, um, is pretty incredible. When you, when you spend more time reading this letter, you discover that it's divided equally in half. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are about what we have been given in Christ. And the last three chapters are based upon what we've been given in Christ, how we are then to live, what practical application that should make in our lives. So from here on out, as we're exploring these verses, hopefully they'll be incredibly practical, things that you can apply to your life, to your work, to your relationships, to everything that you do. That's my prayer, that that is what will, will happen. In, in a sense, if you look at Ephesians, it's divided into these two halves, and the first half, um, chapters one through three, talk about our wealth in Christ. Now, here's, here's the thing I want you to grab a hold of. Um, you may or may not have very much money. It really doesn't matter. But in Christ Jesus, every one of us is extremely wealthy, Wealthy not in material things, 
but in spiritual blessings. That's what we're told in the very first chapter, that we have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So we have this incredible wealth. And it goes on through through that to remind us that we've not only been given spiritual blessings, we've actually been raised with Christ in chapter two, that we're seated with him, and that we've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and to one another. And then chapter three that we looked at last week tells us this incredible truth that God has chosen you, the church, to be how he displays to heaven and to hell, to all of creation, his manifold wisdom. Now, I don't know if you've been thinking about that since we talked about it last week, those who who are a regular part of our church, but it really should, if it sinks in, it should blow you away that God has chosen us to display his wisdom, his greatness. That's the wealth we've been given in Christ Jesus. The second half of the book is about our walk. How then are we to walk based upon what we've been given? And that's what we're going to be exploring today. So let's pick it um, right up where, where the reading was in Ephesians chapter 1, and, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, I therefore, this is Paul writing, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, what is that calling? Well, that calling is that we together are to be united as one and display the wisdom of God. As we explored last week, there is no human entity in all the rest of the world in the universe like the church. There's nothing else that brings people from such different backgrounds, from different nations, different ethnicities, different races, different cultures, different languages, brings us together and says, you are not only connected, you are one as a family. Nothing else does that. There are attempts From a political standpoint, things like the United Nations, which accomplished some great things, but they're very limited because there tends to be lobbying of one group for uh, over another. Nothing brings us together truly as one except for the Lord Jesus Christ in making us his church. That means we have a hope that this world and that people all around us are desperate to find. That should change how we live. That should change how we see one another and how we see others who need the Lord. We have been called to be his church. Verse two goes on and tells us then how we're to walk worthy. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. How beautiful is that? So what are we to do with that? How then are we to walk? How are we to live our life? Well, it should change the priorities that we have. 
Instead of simply looking at, okay, how can I have the best career? How can I have the most influence? How can I have the best possessions? Those are the the ideas and the mindset of the world. Instead, I want to walk, and what God is calling all of us to do is to walk in a way so that we reflect who Jesus Christ is. All of humanity was created in the image of God. But because of sin and selfishness, that image has gotten scarred. But in Christ Jesus, he restores that reflection in you and I. And so to walk worthy of what we've been given in Christ means that our walk, our life, is to look like Jesus. Simply, we're to act like Jesus, we're to think like Jesus, we're to serve like Jesus, we're to love like Jesus. The image of God that we're to reflect includes some of those attributes of God that are placed within humanity as well. Things like love and mercy and patience, forgiveness. Those are not natural things from the standpoint of what you would receive from the world. Those are reflections of who God is. And he's giving them to us. And we are to live in a way so that reflects who we are. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. God says these things about us. Over the last few weeks, we've been, we've been announcing some truths about our new identity in Christ, who we are as a church. And I have just a few I want us to, to say together today as well. Because in Christ Jesus, you bear his image. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, his image is to shine through you. I mean, in a sense, I know this is, this is going to sound cheesy, but um, every superhero movie that you have out there, they have some kind of insignia, some kind of look, some kind of uniform. And if it's Superman, he's got the big S on his chest. Um, we, we did a rap like that a few years ago. I don't know if you remember that. I'll walk around with the S. Never mind. Anyhow, I will try not to do that one. I'll leave that to Ian because he can, he, can, he can do the spoken word better. We're to reflect who Jesus is, and people should recognize in us who he is and what he's like by the character that we have. Just like when you instantly see um, a guy in a red and a blue suit with like spider webs on it. Who is it? Spidey, Spidey absolutely, right? We, we think of that. Now I know, again, it's cheesy, but it's so recognizable. The question is, when people see us, do they recognize Jesus? That should be the goal of our life. That when people see me, ultimately what they see is Jesus. Here's the image that we bear in him. Here's some of the things his word tells us about who we are in Christ. Would you say these with me? We're gonna put them up on the screen. Um, let's put the, the first one up. In, in Christ, you bear his image. So say this, say this out loud with me. Uh, not that one. We already did that one. I know I skipped a whole bunch of it because I was gonna run over. Keep going. We are looking for where it says, God's in Christ, you bear his image, and then John 15, 5. I have great empathy for all the people that have to, use, to run slides because you never know where I'm going to go. So 
All right, keep, keep going. Just flip through it. I'll find it. Hang with me, Sylvester. You're doing great, man. Try the next one. No, we went too far. Never mind. All right, I'm just going to say them to you, okay? Here's what they are. And you can say it after me. I am a branch of Jesus Christ. I am a branch of Jesus Christ, the true vine and a channel of his life. True vine and a channel of his life. John 15, 16 says, I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. You guys are good. We've said this one each time, but I want it to sink in. 1 Corinthians 3.16, I am God's temple. Isn't that cool? I mean, think about it. He chose you, you know, with all the weirdness that you have. He says, I want you to be my dwelling place. How amazing is that? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, I am a minister of reconciliation for God. I am a minister of reconciliation for God. Ephesians 2 says, I am seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realm. You're already there. Um, Ephesians 2 says, I am God's workmanship. Ephesians 3 says, I may approach God with freedom. And this is the one you can take home with you. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All of those are given to us and many, many more. And we're to reflect the image of Christ in all that we do. We are given a calling and we're to walk worthy. Now I want to show you a verse um, in Revelation, because I like, to, I like to look forward to see where this ends, to see how God weaves his, his truths all through the scriptures. So Ephesians here is telling us, is challenging us to make our walk match what we've been given in Christ, to walk worthy. Well, there's a passage in Revelation chapter three that talks about the same thing, and it's written to the church specifically at Sardis. And, and here's what it says, Revelation chapter three Verse one, to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Pretty stern words. They're words that I know I need to hear. It's something God is saying to me, Drew, you need to wake up. Remember then what you received, the wealth we've been given, what you've heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet, this is the beautiful thing about our Lord, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not spoiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Isn't that what you want the Lord to say about you? When we come to the end of our life, the greatest legacy we could ever experience would be Jesus simply saying to you and to me, well done. You walked in a way 
worthy of what I had given to you. That should be our prayer. That should motivate us every single day. God, I want to walk today in a way that reflects who you are, not who I am. The one who appears, excuse me, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now that should sound familiar to what we read last week in Ephesians 3. Jesus himself is saying, when you walk worthy of what I've given you, I'm gonna proclaim your name to the father and to the angels, and in you, my church, they're gonna see my manifold wisdom be displayed. That's what he said in Ephesians 3. What greater privilege could we ever live for than that the God of the universe, the one who gave himself for us, would say our name before the Father and say, this one walked with me by the power of the Holy Spirit and united together with his brothers and sisters, the church, and they are worthy. That is a goal to live for. That's something, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you face, to wake up every morning and say, Lord, I don't know what's gonna happen today, but would you enable me to walk worthy of who you are? You're what drives me. You're the one that I love. Now, I've been thinking about this, this passage that we, again, that we read last week. Let me read it again, Ephesians 3.10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. God wants to put his church on display to show what Jesus has done. Now, this is a this is almost as bad as an example as my superhero one, but I'm gonna do it anyway. So what is your favorite movie or your favorite television program? <laughs> what, what was it? Avengers, excellent. Tying in with the superhero theme, thank you very much. Rescuing me, anybody, anybody else? What? Avengers agree. Okay. All right. Avengers is good. I like Avengers. I've realized I'm really way behind on them and I have to catch up. I have to talk to my sons because, you know, they'll take me back to the canon of, of all the story and make sure I get it right because they're really into that. And, and dad's way behind. Here's the deal. In a strange kind of way, in this, like every illustration, it falls apart. We are the programming of heaven. The angels are looking in to see if you and I are worth watching. Okay? That's kind of humbling, isn't it? The angels in heaven, the demons in hell, are looking at you and I to see what Jesus is up to. That's what it's saying in Ephesians 3. He's displaying his manifold wisdom of bringing reconciliation between humanity and God and between people together, and he's looking to see whether or not you and I are worth watching. Let's be worth watching. Let's show the world around us the difference that Christ makes in our life. Walk like an image bearer. 
And it means, to, to be able to do that means that we have to be led by the Spirit rather than led by ourself. Romans 8, 13 says it this way. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If we're to walk worthy of what Jesus has done for us, what he has given us, we can't walk in our old nature, in ourself. We have to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the word that most commonly appears in the New Testament that contrasts being led by the Spirit and, and not being led by the Spirit is the flesh, and that you and I can be led by the flesh. We all have sinful desires. Now, part of the challenge, though, is, is when we only think of the flesh in terms of, um, of, th- of, of sinful actions and thoughts like, like lust or pride, all of which are very much a part of that, when we only think of the flesh in terms of the body, we can miss out and, and not see truly what it means to be led by the Spirit. In the languages of the Scripture, the soul, um, in Hebrew, it's the word nefesh, it means the total person. And so I can um, not be doing something that's, say, lustful or I'm coveting after someone else, and I can still be operating very much in the flesh, in myself, in my soul, when I'm living by my emotions, by thoughts that are not been surrendered to the Lord Jesus, or by my will. All of those come together. And and we need to look at our life, examine our life, and say, what is driving me? What's motivating me today? Am I being self-led, or am I being led by the Holy Spirit? And there's a difference in what results in our life. Being self-led. Let me give you some examples. And these are are examples from my own own life. So it's a confession. When I become arrogant... When I'm proud, my soul is running my life. My emotions, my thoughts, my pride is running my life. And then I become blinded to what God is doing, and I can run right into some really foolish things and mistakes. Things that everyone else can see, but I seem to be blind to. When I'm led by myself by my selfish desires, um, I can become not only arrogant, but I can plow through relationships and I can offend others. When I'm being led by myself, I'm willing to exchange what God has given me in his kingdom inheritance and instead pour my energy into seeking material things. It's not that material things are bad. But if they become what I live for, if they become what I pursue more than God's kingdom, I'm missing out on what he's given me. When I'm led by myself, I'll look at others when we have conflict and my initial response will always be it's their fault. I will always try to justify my actions when things go wrong and I will look to see who I can blame instead of myself. When I'm led by myself, instead of by the Spirit, 
I'll do things to bring attention to myself because I want approval of others rather than the affirmation of God. When I'm led by myself, I tend to say things that I will regret later, usually in anger. And I find myself desperately trying to find a way to take back what I've said. But when we're led by the Spirit, when we give all that we are to Him, He directs our conversation. He changes how we operate. When we're led by ourselves, we can use manipulation or intimidation to try and get what we want. When we're led by the Spirit, we're looking to see what God wants. See, ultimately, it's an issue of being of control. Is God in control of my desires, my will, my emotions, my attitudes, or is my old nature in control? Galatians 5.25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. When we're led by the Spirit, our focus is always first upwards towards God and then outwards towards others. It is not inward first. It is seeking Him and loving others. So what does this look like? Well, to be Spirit-led, we're gonna see here in, in the Scripture, ultimately our logic the way that we think is to be directed by the mind of Christ. Our emotions are to be directed by the love of Christ. And our will is to be directed by the authority of Christ who is the author of our lives and who will write for you and I his direction for your life today. And he gives us here in Ephesians five marks of being in step with the Spirit. So let's look at those briefly before we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Ephesians 4, I urge you to walk worthy in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Those sound a lot like the fruits of the Spirit, don't they? Because when the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in us, when he fills us, that's what should come out of us is these characters that look just like Jesus. These are the qualities that Jesus lived. It begins with humility, which is God and others focused. That's what humility is. Humility is not thinking poorly of yourself. In fact, thinking poorly of yourself, thinking, oh man, I'm such a miserable failure, is actually pride. Because your focus is on yourself. Humility is not thinking of ourselves. It's thinking of God and others. And this is the great mark of the high calling um, of Christ is to have a humility that looks like his who is the God of the universe and yet he humbled himself to serve us. Humility is the attitude of the spirit. It should control how we respond to others and how we think. Philippians 2 says it this way about Jesus. He says, 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, humility. Taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. We are to have that same mindset of humility if we're to walk in the spirit. It may not be easy, but God, when his spirit lives within you, he can change your attitude. He can change how you think, and how you respond to others. In essence, Christ came from heaven to bring humility back to earth because sin had caused pride to be the number one characteristic of our lives. We are never more like Christ than when we display the attitude of humility. The second one that he lists here is gentleness. Balanced strength is what it means. Gentleness listens first. I don't know about you, but I have to discipline myself when I'm in a conversation with someone, especially if it's a conversation where we have differences of opinion, to not be thinking of what I want to say and instead listen to what the other person is saying. Gentleness listens first. It doesn't prepare your rebuttal. It listens and listens not only to what they're saying, but to the voice of the Holy Spirit prompting us how we can respond in a way that will build others up. Gen- excuse me, gentleness seeks to understand more than to be understood. A gentle approach seeks to solve the problem and not just share an opinion. It seeks to see all the issues that a person is dealing with and it asks if there is more under the surface that perhaps is causing the hurt or the problem if there's a way to bless and to encourage. Gentleness asks, what does the person need? And gentleness is the approach of the Spirit because this is what the Holy Spirit does for us when he's calling us. He gently calls at you. That's the reason he's described as a still, small voice. God has every right to come down harshly upon us in judgment, and yet he chooses to gently call us to himself. Isn't that how we should respond to others? The third one is patience. (laughs) Patience, in essence, is grace towards aggravating people. Okay, how quickly do people annoy you? None of us want to answer that question, do they? Are there people that you avoid because when, as soon as you see them coming, you know they're going to say something that pushes your buttons or rubs you the wrong way or whatever expression you want to say, you just say, you see them and go, I think I'll go this way. We all do it, so you can, you can admit it, but patience has grace towards others. Could it be that the opposition that you are anticipating 
And the struggle that you've had in the past is actually an opportunity to show them who Jesus is by how you respond. James Boyce um, has, a, has a great story that comes out of China that illustrates this so well. It tells the story of a Chinese farmer who labored every day to, to flood his field. He was, he was growing rice, and so he would work on a hand pump and, and, and day after day, he would go out there and he would flood his field with water so that his rice crop would grow. But as soon as his field was full and he walked back to, to his home, his neighbor would come and would dig out part of the wall that separated the fields so that all the water that he had just pumped into his field would flow into the neighbor's field. And so all the work, all the hours of labor in providing water would be wasted because it all came into the neighbor's field. And he did this day after day. And finally, the farmer was was so frustrated with his his neighbor that he went to a Christian friend. He said, would you pray with me about this? Would you? Because I'm about to explode. And they prayed together, and they began praying for the neighbor. And the next day, after he prayed, he took a different approach. Instead, he moved his pump and he went and he filled his neighbor's field first. He just went ahead and filled it. It meant he had to work twice as long because then afterwards he would fill his field. And the next day he did the same thing. And finally, after several days, the neighbor came and said, why are you doing this? And he told him about what Jesus had done for him. And in the course of time, because of that approach, the neighbor came to trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And he never dug out the wall from his neighbor's field again. Instead, they began to work together. You see, that's the approach that we're to take. That's the attitude that we're to take. I was convicted of this this week um, because we have a new neighbor at the bridge. For, for those of you who are guests, I'm going to tell you, we have a ministry center that's in the heart of, of Prague, and it's on a street full of brothels. It's a great place for a church to be. Um, it, but we found out this week, because the building has been sold, um, and you know, but we've been told that we can stay there, but we found out we're getting a new neighbor in the shop that's been in, empty for at least four years. And that new neighbor happens to be the sexy costume shop that's just down the, the street um, is going to be our new neighbor. And you know, not the neighbor I would choose to have there, right? It's actually literally on the other side of the wall of, of the church office. Um, but you know what? The first thing I was convicted with is we've been praying for a way for us to develop relationships with, um, with the women, and particularly who are trapped within the sex industry. And we've had no breakthroughs of trying to make relationships because life in the clubs are difficult. But the one place they actually will go that maybe we could have a connecting point with them is this little shop that's gonna be right next door. Would you pray that God will give us opportunities to show the love of Christ? To live in a manner worthy of what we've been given? That's patience. The next one is bearing with one another. It means mutual respect. Patience reflects how we're to respond to those who are outside of Christ. Bearing with one another means this is how we're to respond to each other. When we annoy each other within 
the Christian community, within the church. We are to remember the price that Jesus paid for the other person. And we're to recognize that they're a work in progress, that he is is orchestrating, and they are his masterpiece being restored as well. And we should bear with one another. We should not only bear with them when it's difficult between us, but we should proactively look for ways to help carry one another's burdens. That's what this passage means. And then the thing that brings it all together, because bearing with one another is the action of the Spirit, that we are made to be together in Christ. And then finally, love is the application of the Spirit. Love is measured by what we give to others and by what we carry for them on life's journey. Love puts humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another into practical and daily application. That's how we're to walk worthy of what Christ has given us. My prayer for us today is that we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will choose to do so. It's a great way to drive this home by spending some moments remembering what Jesus has done for us. When we come to communion, to the Lord's table, it is a time of reflecting upon Jesus' love for us. 1 Corinthians 11 says it this way, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But then he gives a warning. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. Before we come and celebrate the Lord's Supper, let us take a few moments to prepare our hearts and ask the Lord to enable us to live in a way that is worthy of the life he gave for us. The scripture tells us that Jesus took the bread, that he broke it, he blessed it, and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the gift of your Son. And thank you, Jesus, for loving us in ways that are absolutely unimaginable. Thank you for giving your life for us. Today, as we partake of this bread in remembrance of you, May it be a reminder for us to walk in a manner worthy of what you have done for us. Thank you for your sacrifice.
Your word says that you also took the cup and you blessed it, saying this cup is your blood. It is poured out for the forgiveness of sins and it is the new covenant, the relationship in which we can once again be united to you through faith in what you have done. Lord, we ask your blessing upon this cup. We remember that it is a symbol of your sacrifice, that your blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins and to clothe us with your righteousness. Oh Lord, as we drink it, may we remember you. Would you fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit? Would you cleanse us of all of self, of sin, so that we may walk in a manner worthy of what you have given us. We pray all these things in the great and mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper. I'm gonna invite the band to come and to partake of the elements, and then we'll invite you to come as as we sing, as we worship together. Um, Let us receive of the bread and of the cup, and as we do, Let us each pray, Lord, would you enable me to walk in a manner worthy of what you have done for me.